Hey, folks, the Brian Campbell coming at you. You know, after a pay-per-view like WWE Backlash, we had to hit you right away on the In This Corner podcast with the Instant Analysis Edition. We did that Sunday night directly after the pay-per-view. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Audio quality is maybe not the best that you've come to know from In This Corner, but we knew you needed that uh, just a taste, just a sampling of that performance-enhancing audio. We had to provide it syringe-heavy, right, right in that field spot. We'll give it to you. Enjoy. Come back later in the week for our This Week in WWE regular review podcast. But here's a little bonus because we know you love it. Enjoy. Maharaja is upon us. You heard that right. Everything is coming up gender on the In This Corner podcast with Brian Campbell. A special edition of that podcast, WWE style, just one hour removed from Backlash in Chicago. Folks, it's after midnight on the East Coast, so you know we're going to let it all hang down. So much to talk about. So little time. You know the guys. The two of them I'm about to tag in. Adam Silverstein, Nick Costos. We'll hear from them both in a second. But here's your headline from WWE Backlash. Jinder Mahal shocks the world. And you know what? You don't look half bad doing it. Left an electric Chicago crowd stunned and silent. Look, the build for this was not good at all, all right? But dare I say, the payoff, it delivered. Bottom line, it delivered to close what was really an inconsistent card top to bottom. But Nick, I want to start with you. You're widely known as the most passionate man in North America. Describe the feels when Jinder swipe left on Randy Orton's Tinder. Bro, I thought Backlash was awesome, and what a great weekend of WWE entertainment. I thought NXT was pretty damn good on Saturday also, so I am one satisfied wrestling fan here at 12.30 a.m. Monday morning on the East Coast. But, man, I popped when Jinder went over. Like, that was pretty awesome, and I give the Chicago crowd so much credit. They made that match, and a great booking decision early to have Orton attack Jinder before the bell, get the crowd into it. It had that, that big fight feel that I didn't necessarily think that it would. And I've crushed Jinder on this podcast the last couple weeks. Got to give him credit where credit is due. He was pretty good in that match. And I wasn't a great match, Nick, but they told a story, right? They stuck to the script of of Orton's left shoulder. They beat it down. And Adam, he, you know, Nick mentioned that crowd. You saw the dueling chance, the let's go Ginger. Ginger sucks. I think that added something to it. You know, it's a really great point by Nick. The Chicago crowd was on fire all night. It made bad matches and questionable matches good. And it made a main event that we all kind of were iffy about into a legitimate main event for a pay-per-view. Um, I loved the pre-match attack uh, that Orton did on Jinder Mahal. I thought that set the tone right away. And it kind of got you thinking like, you know, if Jinder wins this match, he's actually going to burn it. Like, even <laughs> though he has the other two guys, the Singh brothers, even though they're there helping him, that Orton attack right out of the gate was like, whoa, this is legit. They're not just going to like put this guy over. They're going to make him earn it. And while I don't like Jinder being champion, and Brian, you should really talk about that first, I loved the way they told the story of this match. Yeah, great storytelling in there. 
it, it flowed well. I thought the timing was really important in, in tell that story. Because you know the Bollywood boys, the Singh brothers, you know they were going to play a part. I thought their timing was perfect in the way that they step in. I thought Randy fielded them well in terms yes. of throwing them around, beating yeah. them down. And then the big spot, of course, before the finish was him suplexing both Singh brothers through the announce table. The second Singh brother. I mean, we got to get these guys' names because they're just sort of generic, well-dressed, fine, sartorialized uh, brothers at this point. But that second Singh brother... R.I.P. Nick, he got flipped through the table. <laughs> to answer your question, though, Adam, of you know what I feel about this idea of, of gender with the belt, they created a real moment, a real surprise, organic moment. I mean, I, I predicted, you know, when we when we, last week on that show, when we did do our predictions, whatever those are worth, I thought it was very possible, more likely than not, even that they'd continue this trend of building gender up and why waste it, right? He's, there's potential here. Give him the chance. I still think even with that foundation. They built a real moment. I don't come out of the show going, holy crap, gender's our champion. I come out of the show going, all right, you got my attention. What are you going to do next? I'm pretty excited to see what, what's going to happen on SmackDown now. Now, now you're right, because we do have to start looking ahead a little bit now. What are they going to do with gender? Because let's be honest, that promo that he did coming out of the limousine, like it looked really cool at the start, stepping onto the rug with the Singh brothers laid out. And he looked pretty imposing in that suit. And then once he started the promo, it was decent, but he kept talking and kept talking, and then it started to get pretty bad after that. So Jinder is still not great on the microphone. He's still not the best in-ring worker. So obviously there's still question marks here about how good this is going to potentially be. But for for tonight, for this pay-per-view, I thought it was absolutely fantastic, and it's going to be a moment that a lot of people are going to talk about. And I thought it was really well done, and now I'm pumped to watch SmackDown on Tuesday night right. because of what happens here. I like to hear that out of you. I like to hear because it because it won us back. We were pretty negative on this. I liked in that pre-match promo where he used the word spiritual. He's starting to step over the line in the direction we need him to go. If you're going to be a dis- despicable heel, bring that scare upon people, especially, let's be honest, especially white middle America fans who may not want a guy like Jinder wearing the belt on your TV. It's not just enough to me to play to that xenophobic idea of this guy from another culture taking over. I think he should go all the way with it. I like when he speaks in Punjabi. I like everything that he's doing. Adam, I mean, are we Fairweather fans by being this excited when we crapped on this angle for the weeks leading up to it? I mean, I have to think you are. You you guys are really buying into the moment, and that's okay because with wrestling, you do. You have to buy in to what's happening and you have to say okay WWE take me somewhere you know show me what you want to happen here's the problem okay that pre-match promo that was taped and they probably cut it 17 times and it was scripted oh how dare you that shows you that combined with the in-ring ability or lack thereof of Jinder Mahal it shows you the issues with him being champion am I happy they're elevating a guy and they're giving someone a really big opportunity and that they booked him strong in this match you bet I, I do really like that honestly but that's the sugar. I got to give you the spice here because I had to do a little research on this, okay? Making gender, here's my thesis. Making gender the WWE champion this quickly is ridiculous. He's the worst champion that, that has held the WWE title. It's been around since 1963. And he's the most ridiculous one since Stan Stasiak won it for nine days in 1973. Come on, Vince is WWE, a little bit more ridiculous, yeah, right? No, because WWE did not want Bruno Sammartino to be a face. So they gave the guy a title for nine days. Now, is Jinder going to drop this on SmackDown? I don't think so. I think he's going to get a little bit of a run, a lot of heel heat on it. My point is this. He's not deserving in terms of his actual ability as a champion 
as good of a job as WWE did tonight. Well, so what, though? I mean, you can look, there are so many guys that have held belts that you could say they're not worthy based on their ability. Here's, here's the thing, though. He's got the look that they're looking for. They're marketing in India, and, and that's it. And, he, and he's all muscular and, and veiny, and Vince McMahon loves that. So you can say that about lots of guys, that they're not worthy of it. Listen, bottom line, Jinder's got work to do. I don't think that he's going to all of a sudden turn into Dwayne The Rock Johnson on Tuesday night on SmackDown. He's going to be great on the microphone. But for tonight, they nailed it. They yeah, I think I think moving forward, I'd like to see a little bit less of him in the ring. I'll be really honest with you in terms of actual wrestling, right? He, he stood up to the level he needed to be. They told a more simple story. They told it well. I'm okay with him being more... M- m- I don't want to say Mike heavy because he proved the last few weeks that he isn't strong on the mic, but more just despicable heel heavy, right? Make these gin, uh, sing and sing security a big part of what they're doing, just like when J&J security surrounded Rollins, that was a big part of it. If I'm going to nitpick a little bit in this match, though, fairly strong match across the board. I gave it a grade of a B. It definitely exceeded their expectations. I don't know, though, if I want to see him kicking out of a superplex from the great Randy Orton, though. Yeah, I mean, is Jinder Mahal going to kick out of that move? Is that realistic? I mean, well, it's not the Stone Cold Stunner. I mean, it, it wasn't the RKO. It's a superplex, man. It's not his finisher. Uh, a superplex still means something to me, all right? It was Cowboy Bob's finisher. I mean, it still matters to me to well, see a right. guy on, on that level. Maybe I saw a little bit too much of Jinder overcoming and selling in the middle. But look, all in all, top to bottom, it wasn't bad. And that might be the most enduring headline from this. They did something a little bit crazy. They took a reach. We're not coming out of here booing. And I thought you had a few organic moments in the crowd. You know, it wasn't the Undertaker guy with the bugged out eyeballs in WrestleMania 30, but you had a few good cr- instant crowd reactions. One specific kid in the front row, middle-aged kid with a red t-shirt, just looked so angry that this happened, so despicably mad that he was there. That was that was a pretty good moment there, top to bottom. But, you know, the real highlight of this card, though, guys... The match we're going to remember, we'll remember the gender moment, but the match we're going to remember is the kickoff to this U.S. Championship feud. Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. What made this one special, and it was a great build that kept getting better, kept getting better, but what made it special in the end was the was the finish. And my knee-jerk reaction, and you can call out my fandom all you want, was to be upset about that finish. Yes, it was creative. Yes, it sort of held our attention for a second to say, no, 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 fans. We want you leaving wanting more. That's why we're going to press pause right now, hit the eject button, have this count out finish. I'm not mad because I know the big picture, but in that moment, I thought this could have been the match of the year. I was disgruntled in that moment to see a count out finish in that spot, even though I get the larger picture of what was one hell of a match. Bro, they they turned you into a mark. Like you marked out. Absolutely. They did. That's the, you even said it. You did exactly what they wanted you to do. That was the intended response. And they got that from you. Exactly what they wanted was for you to be like, damn, I want more of this. And guess what, buddy? You're going to get more and it's going to be awesome because that match was great. And the next match that they have is going to be great also. Why? Because AJ Styles is great and Kevin Owens is great. And they're going to be great when they get into the ring together. I had no problem with the finish. KO can come out now on SmackDown and talk about how he beat AJ Styles. It's going to give AJ more fuel for his fire in the storyline. I had no issue with how it went down. And I thought the match itself was spectacular. The reason the finish was so good is because it wasn't a cheap disqualification. Like that match, nine times out of 10, if you want an ending, you have someone pick, take a chair or, you know, take a dive or someone interferes or whatever. You find a way to kind of continue it. It was a unique count out finish to a match between two guys. Like, just like Nick said, 
you're going to see fight all the time. They're going to be fighting for the U.S. title. They're going to be main eventing a major pay-per-view fighting for the WWE title or if they switch brands, the Universal title within the next two or three years. You're going to see these guys featured on WWE programming head-to-head against each other for a long time. So for me, I thought they gave you the, uh, the best possible taste that they could have. This is what happens when Owens and Styles are in the ring together. And they're going to be able to build that up over the next few weeks, over the next few months, maybe over the next few years until that crowning achievement match between them that you're, that will be a match of the year contender. And I'll tell you what this looked like, and here's the best compliment I can give it. This looked like Cena styles. It had some of that same feel to the way they built the match and the way that it kept escalating and it kept getting a little bit better every few minutes. I thought, you know, KO really played that role of Cena not in the in the heel baby sense, but inside of that match, the physical role he needed to play, where they gave us 21 minutes and 10 seconds in this one. And I think, you know, the point is leaving you wanting more. I can't wait to see where they go, how they're going to one-up this, because the physicality is really what made this. I mean, that KO inverted suplex, superplex off the top rope was pretty much incredible. And to have AJ come right back and counter with a snap suplex on the ring apron, the hardest part of the ring, like we know. I mean, I popped in there. I popped so much and got caught up in a markout moment, which you mentioned, Nick, that I actually had to delete a tweet because I was getting so hammered on Twitter. Because in the moment, like I said, I didn't want that finish. And then people, you know, you're such an idiot. You don't get it. Obviously, I get it in the big picture of what they were doing. But, man, they had me there because when AJ explodes from the timekeeper area area with that phenomenal form after he'd been selling that right leg injury the whole time, that's the foundation of that match. He sold that perfectly as they built it up and up and up. Oh, man, I was just starting to have that moment where you question yourself and you go, I didn't want this to be my match of the year And at this point of the year. I mean, I already thought I had one already. We saw a really another great one over the weekend at the NXT card. Man, I'm going to have to restructure my thing, and then it's over. So they got me, but where does this pay off? How is this going to end? Where's going to be the five-star match? Is it going to you know, is it gonna be a progression and a build, and then SummerSlam, this is your main event? Where are we going here? Uh, I don't know where they're end up going with it. You'll definitely get at least one more pay-per-view match between these guys. I wouldn't be shocked. Someone actually tweeted me this, and I like the idea to do a submission match and have it be the next one because you know there'll be some sort of gimmick involved, whether it's no count on ODQ. Uh, there'll be some sort of stipulation attached to their next match. But, Brian, you said it. It reminded you of Cena Styles. The common denominator of both these matches, of course, is the phenomenal <laughs> AJ Styles. And, look, Kevin Owens is great. He's a tremendous performer. He's great on the mic. He's great in the ring. AJ Styles is on another level. Like AJ Styles took this match to another level with his selling. He's the perfect foil to take KO's power offense. Full marks across the board for me. Just a spectacular effort from those two. Great. Match. I like you said full marks because that's where we are watching it. And Adam, when last week on this podcast when we talked about that comment where everybody's best match of 2016 was against AJ Styles, the one guy we didn't mention was Dean Ambrose. You remember that TLC main event? Remember how absurd that was in December, how how through the tables, off the chairs, off the ladder. It was just incredible. This match gave me a little feel of that. Like we're going to see some physical things that we we didn't expect them to do. And, uh, you know, oh, man, I'm just going to sit here and mark out until you pull me out of this and go to the next match because I loved it that much. I'll, I'll add this very quickly. Think about it like this. This match had a finish, like a legitimate finish in the middle of the ring. You're going to put it up there in a top five WWE match of the year. And when you consider that, one of those other top five is Cena Styles at Royal Rumble. That says all you need to say about AJ Styles and what he does to elevate good performers and make tremendous matches with great performers. But there was a lot more that happened at Backlash tonight, including the debut of Shinsuke Nakamura, the King of Strong Style, went over on Dolph Ziggler. You know, personally, I had a couple problems with it, but Brian, I think you enjoyed it. Am I right? 
I did enjoy it overall. I do have to put an asterisk and say, though, I almost expected to not enjoy it or to be disappointed. So the fact that I wasn't, the fact that it meet it met my minimal expectations to be really happy and really have nothing bad to say about it. I think maybe pushed it up over that level. Overall, I graded that match a B plus. And here's what I liked about it. It it had a, some different feels to it. You had that chain wrestling early where Dolph Ziggler, who we know in real life has that great amateur background. You transitioned to the middle where it was one near fall after another for Dolph with one finisher after another. And then that set the stage for the finish where it was all about what we wanted coming in, which was the strong style. But it wasn't just Shinsuke's strong style. Dolph went on that heel run late in that match where, I mean, he need, you know, he need uh, Shinsuke in the back of the skull. Then he started raining down MMA inspired elbows down on him. He gave him a super kick to the back of the brainstem. You notice how Tom uh, Tom on uh, commentary kept calling it the back of the neck? No, guy, he hit him right in the in the in the, in the brainstem. All right. Tom Phillips had a tough night. Tough night. A lot of people Very on Twitter call for Moro. What I'm saying though is there was a lot of layers to this match. Some good storytelling. No, it didn't blow me away. No, it wasn't this incredible thing that made me go, "Oh my God, I'm so happy Shinsuke's called up." But it wasn't bad. It didn't disrespect what Shinsuke brought to the table. I thought Dolph secretly was the MVP of this match. And if this is only chapter one, like a lot of people hammered me about right after AJ and Owens ended when I had that weird reaction. If this was only chapter one to this feud, I like where it's going because there is a physical limitation with Shinsuke. And a lot of times we don't want to talk about this. He's so great as a showman, but he's not going to do, you know, flips through the air and Topi helos and totally win you over. It's a different type of slower in-ring style. I thought this showcased that well. All right. That's my take. Three words for you on this match. Good. Not great. It was not a great match, and it did not meet my expectations for it. Now, I think if you take the match in a vacuum and you watch it, you'd walk away being like, that was pretty damn good. You'd be pretty happy with it. But given the bills and the hype and the anticipation, I personally was expecting something more. It was a fine match. Do not misconstrue what I'm saying. It was a good match, but it was not great. And I think that I was expecting great. And I feel like most of the people listening to this podcast, the most of the people that are watching were expecting it to be great based on all the hype. And it fell short to me. And I'll go so far to tell you, I thought that Sami Zayn, Baron Corbin was a better match than Ziggler Nakamura. Oh, how, so. First of all, how dare you? Okay, First of all, how dare you? Second of all, Adam, I thought it was missing a strong hammer of a finish. We got the Kinshasa, but it wasn't a, a climactic one where, where, where we had to check to see if Dolph was killed afterwards. And I kind of wanted a near-death experience in this one. Yeah, I think that's fair. But what Nick brought the point that Nick brought up is the right one, and it's what I was arguing about on the podcast for weeks now. They built this up to be something that they could not deliver. Like, if Shinsuke had made his in-ring debut at SmackDown at some point or fought more than that one time that he attacked Ziggler, they went back and forth. If you had seen more of Shinsuke, you wouldn't have expected this, like, blockbuster match. This guy that no one's ever seen before on the main roster is going to have this crazy match. That said, I agree. It delivered. Like, I was happy to see Shinsuke on the on the card. He, I was glad they opened the show with it because they got it out of the way. They didn't not just hype it up for six weeks, but, like, also two hours, like, to start the show. So I was really happy they got it out of the way. I had a couple problems with the match. The first one was, if Ziggler is so upset about Nakamura being an artist and making such a big deal about his entrance and so on and so forth, why did he not attack him during the entrance? Like, get the heat right away, get this thing going, make it a brawl. So I expected that to happen. But the other the other thing is this. I didn't expect Ziggler to win the match, but Brian, you put it in my head that it was a possibility and, like, that it, I shouldn't just assume Nakamura is going to win. And once that happened and I started watching the match... 
I'm not going to say I expected it, but I wanted it more. Like, I'm a big Dolph Ziggler fan. We know this now. And he has, again, proven he can carry a program basically by himself because he did it on the mic on SmackDown for three weeks in a row. And in that match, he definitely didn't carry Nakamura, but he played a huge role in that match, maybe more so than Nakamura in this particular match, in getting it over. So I think Ziggler needs more respect. And if it's a continued program with Shinsuke and he gets a win at some point in it, that'll be great. But if he jobs to him twice and he just moves on to a lower card stuff again, I, I can't buy that. No, he'll get his that's win. That's not Ziggler, though. He's a jobber of the stars. No, he's not. He's really not, he's better though, Nick. That. He's really not. I, gets... I agree. He is better than that, but that's what his role is. So like, Put that, him in a suit. Let him have Flair as his manager. We're going to see a whole different guy, but that's another topic on that. What I want to close with, though, is I said it met the minimum level of my expectations where I wouldn't be disappointed, and I think ultimately outside of maybe a stronger finish, what it, what it missed was – we saw main roster Shinsuke here. We still didn't see full-on NXT Shinsuke. If we, this wasn't the Shinsuke that fought Sami Zayn in his NXT debut, and I think we would have needed more of that element, that indie feel to the match, that more of the weirdness of Shinsuke, the good side of the weirdness of Shinsuke's character displayed more. I would love to see more of where he would block or counter uh, a move from Ziggler and then do some creepy thing with his fingers and call him in. I don't think we saw enough of that it felt a little bit more like this is the best a main roster version of a Shinsuke or a Shinsuke match could look. So we'll see, you know, so, not happy about it off the start. think it can get better, but I still think there's going to be limitations for anybody that goes from NXT to the main roster. Cause this just in guys, and it's not just this in, and we'll talk about it at the end of this podcast, but when NXT is at the top level, by the way, it is better than the main roster and main roster product. So anybody else like me who wants triple H <laughs> to have the keys to the car and get on, get on the wheel. One of these days he will, okay? So if that didn't meet your expectation, then tell me about the tag team match with Brizongo coming out, Tyler Breeze coming out in a basically janitor uniform becoming a grandma. I want to know if that met your expectation. Uh, this is like literally like a Helter Skelter like type review because I hated, hated the opening to this match. While people on my timeline all around me are popping for the comedic level of it. And look, is Tyler Breeze in this moment on Sunday night? Did he overachieve in a really bad gimmick like he's been doing in the past few weeks? Yes. But do I hate seeing him forced to dress up like Nikki Bella like he had to before WrestleMania and dress up like a grandmother like he did in this match? Absolutely, because he's far too talented. So I almost don't care if he's overachieving in it. I didn't like the comedic side on the build. But before I can crap on this match, guys, it got hot late. There was energy late. And the, the highlight of this match was that Topi Canelo from Fandango. I mean, the guy just brought it. In the end, they won me back over because they finished strong. It didn't tell a perfect story all the way through. But I like both of these teams. I like what we got out of it in the end. Major props, again, to the Chicago crowd. Because if this match was in another arena with a lesser crowd, it would have died a slow death very early. The Chicago crowd got this match over at the beginning when Tyler Breeze had the mop out and the crowd started chanting for the mop and the crowd got hot into it, into the match at that point. Because if this was in Newark, New Jersey, remember that crowd a couple of weeks ago? If this oh, was yeah. that London oh. crowd for Monday Night Raw, this match would have been terrible. This match was good because the crowd was into it. And the crowd didn't necessarily have to be into it because it really wasn't that, it wasn't that good at the start. It didn't get going early on. But I thought they nailed some of the comedy stuff that they did. I thought the in-ring work was fine. The right booking decision was for the Usos to go over. But again... Full marks to the Chicago crowd. They made this match a successful one because it could have been really bad without a good crowd reaction. Well, the Usos going over without even having to hit the frog splash finisher tells you everything you need to know about the chances that Brizongo had to actually get a win there. The question I kept asking myself during the match was, 
is it is this so bad that it's good? And the answer I came up with is no. The only laugh I legitimately got from all the comedy stuff didn't even happen on purpose. It was when JBL just improv the line. He got the grandma's dress thrown on him. And he's like, I usually pay for that kind of thing. Oh, that was a great moment. I I died for that. I thought it was hysterical. So that got a laugh out of me. I did love Fandango's uh, Conhilo over the top rope. That was great. And the Usos, I, I, I marked out for them last week on this podcast. I made it very clear what I think of them. So that's kind of where I... But I don't give the Chicago crowd props, though, for overreacting to something that was a little forced. And look, like the Fashion Files is ironic comedy. It's just it's just funny for what it is. This was like this was gratuitous. And it's not just that I love Tyler Breeze. And yes, I do love the man. All right. Straight up. But this was gratuitous and cheesy. And it was like he doesn't need to do that, guys. He's a better worker than Fandango. He's a better worker than a lot of guys in this company. I just said that out loud and I mean it. All right. But listen, you do make a great point, and I'm happy that you said that because I failed to mention it, and I wanted to. There was no need to have Breeze. Like, like the, all that stuff was unneeded. They could have just come out and just did a match, and the match would have been good. But you have to credit the crowd because the crowd got it over. The crowd got that cheesy stuff over. I didn't love the decision to do it, but the crowd made it work. All right, that's why I give them credit. And that's a, ultimately this debate is, is why this card was really inconsistent, I thought, from top to bottom. Guys, did you have any feelings or movements from Sami Zayn pulling the upset here on Baron Corbin? It almost felt like a popcorn match in the flow of it, but did you guys get catch any feels from that? I thought it was a great match. Like I actually thought that it was, like I said, better than Ziggler and Nakamura. I love the story that they told working on Zayn's back the entire match. Zayn kept kicking out, and then they put Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn won a match on a pay-per-view. I mean, how about that? I mean, pigs flying, hell freezing over. Sami Zayn wins a match on pay-per-view. Love that booking decision. Corbin will obviously get his heat back and beat him at some point in the near future. But I thought that that match was one of the surprises of the show, pleasant surprise, and I thought it was an excellent match. So, like, that was, for me, a very, very good part of the show. I liked it a lot. I agree with Nick there, and I think the right booking decision was putting Zayn over. The question I have is just, what do they do here? Are they just going to throw these guys both in the Money in the Bank match? Or are they going to continue a feud uh, and get you know get have Corbin get his 50-50 win back? I, I just don't know where they go with it. But yeah, it was surprising to see Zane go over. And I liked it because, yeah, we, we've talked about it. The guy's a loser. That's how he's booked. And for him to get a win like that, especially in a very strong manner like that with a hell of a, uh, hell of a kick, I thought it was solid. It just didn't move me. I didn't think it was a bad match. Again, it just I had a popcorn feel. There was a third of this card which had a popcorn feel. And now we'll transition, guys, to a, a match that I'm really upset about, okay? You know I was upset about the build coming in for this welcome committee crap. And guess what? They go, they go over Naomi, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte, and they go over in a clean manner. And here's the problem. The only way that this storyline and this match was going to make sense, and it's a gratuitous six-woman tag team match without a real good storyline, the only way it was going to make sense was what it looked like it was telegraphing. And that was a heel turn of some kind, whether Charlotte turning right back heel after she was sort of made a, a face for no reason, and that would have justified it. And then you go, okay, I get it now. Or even Becky Lynch coming out there with a straight mullet which really looked like a heel haircut. I'm like, okay, maybe they're overplaying their hand. Becky's going to go over. You know what happened? Nothing happened, guys. And I don't want to hear either of you be like, well, you know, it was a pretty good six-woman tag match. No, it wasn't because there was no story told whatsoever. And when that match ended and you're waiting, you're waiting. Okay, go ahead. And now you're like, it's gratuitous now. Somebody turn heel. That's why I tweeted out. It's our, It's time now, guys. Somebody turn on somebody. And guess what? It never happened. What a waste of our time, guys. Because you just had your three top women on your brand get absolutely buried. 
And the only thing about this match that actually was awesome was our guy, James Ellsworth, who came out and said, all you sausages, listen up, said he's the Michael Jordan of sports entertainment and basically called himself the, what did it say, the, the infinity of masculinity. The guy's a, a friggin' stud in this role. I hate this match, and I don't use the word hate too often, but why are you wasting our time with crap, all right? I mean, uh, shout out to Tamina, though, for wearing the sleeveless sleeveless uh, leather jacket vest, Roman Reigns shields. I don't know what was going on there. Anybody got any sense to make of this? Because why should I care? I'm going to give you uh, full marks for the Ellsworth comments. I actually tweeted that out. He's hysterical. He was the best part of the match. I actually thought Becky Lynch looked pretty sexy with the hair. So I had no problem with the uh, with the Becky Lynch haircut. The one thing that I can give you, Bri, yeah, was actually an excellent rant that you gave. And I agree with almost everything that you said. I think it'll be a slower burn. Charlotte will turn on Naomi eventually. Maybe they'll do the match at SummerSlam. That will happen. So I, I, I can't. All right. Them. Then that's a kickoff. That's a pre-show match that you that yeah, you should have had on the kickoff show. All right. It was bad. You're right. But they'll do that turn at some point. It just wasn't tonight. But you're right. The match was brutal. First of all, the match shouldn't have happened. There should have been a women's title match, a rematch of Naomi Charlotte, or someone else gets the opportunity. The match just shouldn't have been on the show. You didn't need it. If you really wanted something with it, put that in the main event of a SmackDown, the go-home SmackDown, or two weeks ago. You know, it just didn't need to be there. Who Becky Lynch looked like was Rufio from Hook. That's who she looked like with that straight red, you know, Mohawk-ish type deal going back. But the women's match I'd rather talk about happened Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, look, so what I just want to know, like, WWE, what are you saying by the welcome community going over? You're saying that your three worst women in your division just beat your three best ones. It just doesn't, it's just like, you know, that's so, if we wrap up backlash on that, and look, there was, you know, an Eric Rowan, Luke Harper match that nobody cares about. Very physical match, I'll give them credit. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, all right? But again, it was a, it was really the popcorn match of the night to transition out of that awesome Owen Styles match. Pre-show match with Ty Dillinger. Nobody cares. The guy's a jobber, okay? I don't care if you guys like his gimmick or you have an affinity for him. How would you rate this match, this this card as a whole? What would be your grade on this one? I want to go around the horn. Very good. B to B plus, and my expectation was going to be like a C minus. So it was, it's not one of the great pay-per-views of all time, but when I sat down, like that was a quality three hours of entertainment on a Sunday night for so me. So you're riding the high points, though, because that was an inconsistent no, card. There's legit but, low points. I, but here's my, I don't think that it was inconsistent. I thought it was pretty consistently good. There was only one match that I thought was really bad, and it was the women's six-man tag. I actually thought Rowan versus Harper was pretty decent. Those are two big guys with impressive power arsenals that can move around a little bit. I'm not saying they're future world champions, but I thought that was a pretty good match. I thought Zane Corbin was excellent. I thought Nakamura Ziggler was good, like I said, but not great. Um, Owen Styles was obviously terrific, and the main event exceeded expectations. It had the markout moment at the end. So for me, this is an easy thumbs up for, for Backlash. For it, it's, me. A, it's a C-plus for me. There were four matches that were worthwhile. I've already seen Corbin Zane, although it was good. I didn't need it. So really, that gives me three matches. One of them had a countout finish. One of them had Jinder Mahal winning the WWE title, and the other was Nakamura's debut, which we all agreed was a very good match, but not a great match. So you're not getting a B grade for me on this in any way. Not a B, not a B minus. But I think a C plus is fair because, yeah, was it entertaining? Sure. And there were some spots and some high moments. Yeah, like, what's wrong with you? You guys, you guys are haters, man. Like that. That was a good Well, shot. let me put it like this, it was Phoenix. Good. O- it was fine. Overall, I give it a B minus because those high moments were strong. Owen's style is amazing. You went home happy on a big moment off of gender. But it was it, it, basically on paper, a third to a half of the card shouldn't have been a pay-per-view worthy card. 
And then, you know, to me, it played out where a third to half of it was, was really a throwaway. And here's why I'm upset about that. The first six months of the brand extension, and I when I heard brand extension last summer, I groaned because I didn't have good memories coming off of that brand, ex- the most recent brand extensions. I thought it was really just tired out and played out, and it just really was overall part of the problem of why I wasn't watching WWE on a second-by-second, hour-to-hour, day-to-day level that I am again right now. And I think the first six months had been incredible. And the main reason for me was there was never a throwaway pay-per-view. There was never a swing and a miss. They delivered every single time. And there was never those weak, watered-down ones where you're like, man, we really shouldn't have two brands with two pay-per-views a month. And that is the greatest credit to them. And the first half of 2017, now we're kind of in our second pay-per-view card where yeah, it really wasn't that awesome. Right, right. It was good. Like, Like you're saying, like, like, oh, like on paper, like it wasn't, it, it didn't blow you away. The show was good. I just, maybe, I, maybe part of it is, look, the New just Day still hasn't come me. back. There's a lot of, there's the full rosters aren't there. I just don't want this to start a trend, Nick, because I give a lot of my life. It was good. B- BC makes a larger good point, though, that since WrestleMania 33, coming out of it, WWE has not been doing a very good job. We all discussed what happened at Payback with. You know, there was two SmackDown matches on the show. The title situation was confused. The House of Horrors match. Um, this pay-per-view, whether it, you're going to give it a B, a B minus, a C plus, we're all in a good but not amazing show. So the, the biggest issue overall is that Brian's right. Coming out of that initial brand extension and running to WrestleMania, things were pretty good and the pay-per-views were pretty solid. But coming out of the superstar shakeup, let's call it post-WrestleMania 33, things have been really shaky. Guys, guys, the show was good tonight. Like, I, I don't understand, like, where the negativity, like, why are we talking about, like, stuff that doesn't matter? Like, the show that we just watched was good. <laughs> Brian, you just gave it a B. This is a, a B minus number one. And number two, you're really on, you're in Herm Edwards territory right now. I mean, you we, we, we play to, to watch the show. I mean, where are you going with this? No, I mean, I can't believe that, like, like the show was good. Like, there's no negative. It was good. I just don't – look, I just don't want us to go in the wrong direction because sometimes you can see that. You can see their hands, you know, from a distance. But we got the new day coming back. We got some – hopefully some big things ahead of us. You know what didn't disappoint, guys? And we're going to we're gonna close on this is the NXT TakeOver card in Chicago this Saturday night. Holy crap, guys. Yeah. It's yep. not that we have never seen an NXT TakeOver card this good. And I think some of those in 2015 for in particular – and when you, by the way, if you go back, go back and look at the first six months of 2015 and look at the cards and that knowing now two years later that three fourths of each of those cards are now headlining, you know, pay-per-view cards on the main roster. And you look back and it's an embarrassment of riches. It's not that we've never had a card this good, but man, this was everything that makes NXT good from that raw indie feel from the surprise turns, just everything about it. It was like an A plus show. I mean, it was close. Maybe, maybe an A, maybe a solid A. I mean, I came out of there way. I didn't expect a lot for this one in comparison to some of the other ones, and I was really fired up. Well, NXT gave you two big things that I take away from it. Two mark out moments. Number one, the UK title match was a match of the year candidate. Bade and Dunn were absolutely fantastic. That match was sick. So that was number one. And number two, you had a brilliantly executed heel turn to so end good. the show. I mean, I've said this on the podcast before. There are times when wrestling elevates to Shakespearean levels. That was like a Shakespearean level that it elevated to with the way they set it up right. And in that tag team ladder match, which was a great match, started slow and picked up and had a super hot finish. When Johnny 
pushes Tommaso out of the way. And he takes that stiff ladder shot to the jaw. And like I saw people tweeting, you're thinking, right? Why? Like that was really stiff. Like why did they do that? They needed that moment to fully punch home the heel turn that Johnny sacrificed his body to save his friend, pushed him out of the way, took the proverbial bullet for him, and Tommaso still turned on him afterwards. And you had, how brilliant was it that they put the copyright in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen? You think the show's about to go off the air, and then the heel turn happened after that point. I mean, just... just and then kayfabe, they, they took him off in a stretcher, by the way, which is just great. And Adam, I... I, I watched that show late, so I had already I had already heard about the the you know that there was a heel turn coming. I was already tipped off about it, and I still questioned whether I had heard wrong because they waited till long after a lot of people probably turned off, long after double replays of the main events finisher where the two of them are walking up the ramp. That's the moment where you turn the the, the broadcast off. You're like, okay, it's over. The fact that they delivered at that point. Man, that was a great moment. It was really incredible. And Nick was right that they put the, you know, hey, thanks for watching NXT TakeOver Chicago. And here's the copyright. We're ending the show as the guys have the DIY chants, uh, you know, they're screaming their names, yelling congratulations, standing ovation for them in the ring, all the way up the ramp, all the way to the top. Ciampa puts his arm around his teammate and you're like, oh, that's a nice, you know, touch to the end and literally just turns him around and throws him right into that set. And it was brutal. I loved the turn. Nick already kind of laid out why it was so great and them setting it up in the match with that ladder shot. What I want to talk about is that match as well because it was a hell of a spot fest. I mean, from the the triple ladder, a double dive, which Gargano almost killed himself on, to just a lot of the spots in the ring. I think Razor just exploded a wooden ladder when he was suplexed into it in the corner. It was. Ridiculous. By the way, I love these Authors of Pain. And, and when they first came out, I'm like, oh, these generic you know, blocks of wood. Like, who are these guys? And, and it took it, it. It took me a year and a half to to really figure out their names and, and which one is which, or even memorize their names. And man, talk about overachieving! And even Paul Ellering taking a bump was fantastic. It was, man, the match was terrific. And like I got big for that. My my started, favorite started slow but picked up and got going. My favorite part of the whole match was just Gargano as a whole because he took an absolute beating. Like wrestling's fake, but if he's not sore. Today, I would be absolutely shocked. He took the dive off the ladder that he missed, and he almost broke his neck. He took that. And, he took the stiff, battering ram ladder to the face inside the ring. He took a couple other really tough falls. And then his teammate, uh, his former teammate, I guess, gives him a Death Valley driver off the stage a good distance into two tables below. I don't care that it's fake. This guy has to be sore and hurting because it was one thing after another, and I'm like, this guy's a he's a dummy like he's a you know a crash test dummy that's a great point and his connection with the crowd is so genuine that they obviously picked the right way to do this because you know he gets the johnny wrestling chance he's such that that heartbeat of the indies type of feel and for him to even after Tommaso already turned on him johnny's still grabbing him and like crawling up into his like waist in his lap area still like you know what are you doing don't do this to me the face said it all and here's why this turn is brilliant right now because we kind of talked about this last week adam where i don't believe that this tag is amazing as they are and they're a great tag team and they put on some great matches in nxt i don't think they're big enough to be received as a legitimate tag team on the main roster. So if you look back to the Cruiserweight Classic last year, when they had that match against each other and the story they told, how absurdly physical that was, but then in the end, they hugged and put their arms around each other. Right away, I'm like, I want these guys headlining the Cruiserweight division if they launch one. 
This is how you get them into the cruiserweight division where there is no cruiserweight tag team titles right now. You split them apart. You let them go against each other for a while in NXT, and then you bump them up into the cruiserweight division where then that gives them access to Raw. They'll be on the main roster. I thought that element to it was really brilliant. I'm just real happy, obviously, all around of where they go, where, where this rolls out. But this wasn't the biggest moment of the night, the best match, like Nick talked about. That UK match, we talked about how much we love Tyler Bate. And Adam, at 19, that guy gave us some spots in this match that were just mind-blowing to me. That were just incredible. And the artistry of Pete Dunne, the bruiserweight. I just want to see more and more and more of this guy. And I posed that question to both of you last week of when are we going to care about this belt? Should we care about this belt? If these two guys are defending it, I'm going to care about this belt now. I'm on markout level times a thousand. That was everything you want out of match. It was incredibly physical. I thought both guys were dead afterwards. You talk about seeing Johnny Wrestling there laid out like he's going to have a rough couple weeks afterwards. I felt the same way off of these both, both of these guys. And I think it's a surprise and a pleasant surprise when you let the second match on your card escalate to fight, a, you know, match of the year contention. Normally the guys, the curtain jerkers, the early guys, they got to pull back a little. They can't let it all hang out. They can't be letting their hang down roll down. And these guys just put it right out in the middle of the ring, New York Knicks style. You know, I put, I put over Tyler Bate on the podcast Wednesday this last week, and it just goes to show this guy is legit. Like he's 20 years old right now. I think he just had a birthday and you could put him now. They're not going to, but you could put him on the main roster of WWE right now. And he would have some incredible matches. He knows how to tell stories. He has really good maneuvers. He's in, inventive a little bit. Um, and working with like the Bruiserweight, them together, done and bait. It's just a, it's like a dream match, probably for UK fans. I would assume they've seen it dozens of times. We're just getting to experience it now. It's fantastic. You said match of the year candidate. It really is. My three right now. I have that. I mentioned earlier Styles, uh, Cena, and that triple threat tag team match from the last Takeover Orlando. Those are my three right now that are all vying for that spot. But for these two guys to be one of those matches and have it happen on a takeover card in Chicago the night before a backlash pay-per-view, it just tells you all you need to know. And I'll tell you, the, the, the Brits are churning out some real quality young wrestlers right now. And they, I know this is WWE pod, but a lot of great British wrestlers getting the job done in a lot of different promotions right now. Nick, how many kids in England are getting a, a tattoo on their left knee now after Pete Dunne? I mean, you, you know, you're you're a man of ink. You ever consider that? Uh, no, I would not do that. No, I have one one tattoo. That's going to be the only one that, that I ever get. And uh, and one note on bait. Um, the guy is not like big in the sense that he's very tall. I don't know that I've seen anyone that has struck me as being as pound for pound strong as he is. I mean. He had moved those right? legs, dude. Look at those he legs. He was holding Dunn up in the air for three to four seconds before he would suplex him. And Dunn was bigger than he is. Oh, I was very impressed he, with by bait and his strength. The two were just fantastic. I mean, there's that we can throw superlatives around all day about that he, match. He's like was, he's, he's a little bit like a mini Cesaro almost, like a squ squished down Cesaro. Um, but you're right. Every time he did a suplex and like he showed his strength by like taking three to four seconds to lean all the way back with the guy. It was really impressive. But the, these two matches were really good on NXT, but I feel like we're really overlooking a very, very solid, very, very good NXT championship match because Bobby Roode and Hideo Itami put on a hell of a show. What do you think, Brian? I do, I, and I don't want to crap on this match at all because Bobby Roode, he's kind Plus, of in that Shinsuke category where he's not going to blow – the look is incredible, incredible on the mic. He's not going to blow you away – 
in the new school sort of sense inside the ring. It's not going to be crazy flips in, in all this fast moving stuff. It's going to be more of that old school style. And I love the old school style of old school storytelling. I don't think this match for as solid as it was did overachieve or, or, or did or was great. And right. I think that's why it was a smart move that it wasn't in the main event because you get split opinions on these type of matches. You just have to look no further than that NXT Orlando main event, WrestleMania weekend, where that takeover card did have Bobby Roode in the rematch with Nakamura, where in the arena, I just didn't feel like it worked. I didn't feel like they had good chemistry off of each other. There wasn't a lot of spots, and I don't need to be the kind of type of fan that needs my attention span sprung with spots constantly to keep me in it. I just didn't love it. But look, people on Twitter, and maybe it's the combination of the broadcast, the production, the announcers, people like Jim Ross, everybody on Twitter is like, that's a brilliant old school match. I didn't feel it then. I didn't feel this time around like it was great, but I did feel like it was solid. I thought Hideo Tommy was up to the task. You know, fairly solid one. I'm glad it didn't main event. I give it a five and a half out of 10. It was slightly above average for me. I did not think it was really that good. Good finish with, um, I liked Rude hanging on and hooking him to do the uh, the implant DDT, the glorious DDT twice in a row. So I did like the, uh, that part of the finish. But here's the deal with Bobby Rude. He's not good enough to have great matches with performers that are not as good as he is. He's not AJ Styles in that regard. Exactly. So if you, put, if you put Bobby Roode in there with AJ Styles, the match is going to be four and a half stars, four stars match. It's going to be great. Bobby Roode can't elevate Hideo Otami. Like Bobby Roode needs someone to help elevate him. Bobby Roode's not the guy to do the elevator. So guess what? He's Randy so Orton. It's the same topic, the same argument we had last week, right? He's Randy Orton. Ah, uh, no. The, the, the difference. Orton's, Orton's better than Bobby Roode. Insulting Bobby Roode when I say that. That's a, I mean Orton is Orton's very good. Orton is no doubt better, but I think it's ultimately that same argument where you're not going to elevate somebody. You're not I think gonna... you're right though. I think that's a fair point. If, if you if you don't think Roode's going to elevate anyone, I thought a Tommy elevated Roode a little bit. Like that Roode Nakamura match, they didn't really do each other any favors. They didn't play off each other well. I thought a Tommy and Roode played off each other really well. I love the match story of both guys couldn't execute their finishers because they each concentrated on the one limb that you know, would prevent them from doing so. What I didn't like is how quickly they were able to, like, overcome it and hit a go-to-sleep and two glorious DDTs, actually three glorious DDTs. It all happened really quick. We're like, oh, these limbs really hurt. And all of a sudden, nah, nah, it's fine. We can hit the maneuvers as we need. But I thought a Tommy elevated Rude, and I thought it was one of Rude's best featured matches since joining NXT. And I'm not saying it was the show, the best match on the card. It was third. You could even maybe say fourth. I think the Roderick Strong match was pretty solid. But I thought it was a really good NXT championship match, and Brian's right. It was placed in the perfect spot in the show. It shouldn't have been the main event, but it was important enough that it needed to be right before it. Well, let's close by... Five and a half. Fair enough. Let's (laughs) close by talking about the the triple threat women's match for the NXT championship. We know I'm a massive Oscar Mark in every possible way. Look... Good match. I, th- I thought they, I thought it was, re- I thought I like, I enjoyed the match. I thought it was a good match. I thought it was the, obviously the right finish. I thought the way that it was the right finish where Asuka physically decimated both in the end. Like I really thought they were going to have to check Ruby Riot for whiplash, check if she was still breathing at the end. The double pin just put over what we've been talking about, about how dominant Asuka is. And when she does go to the main roster, it's got to be a surprise and she doesn't need to lose, lose the NXT belt to get there. Here's my sort of complaint. And it's separate from this match and separate from this card. You want to talk about somebody who's too good for their look. Asuka's too good to be wearing that like weird amalgamation of stripped down uh, lingerie. She almost looks like wearing what David Lee Roth would wear for a Van Halen concert in like 85 shirtless. Like 
what is she wearing? I don't really get it. It's just sort of like, I think it takes away from how brilliant she is in the ring. It takes away from her style, from her impact. Pull her up a little bit more. Give her a more dominant look that showcases what she can do. I just think that that in the end is going to, when it's time for her launch on the main roster, and we talked about what we maybe didn't like, how WWE handled Shinsuke's launch on the main roster. She's a unique talent like him. I'd change up that look a little bit, but inside the ring, I don't think there's anything I can complain about. I love what she so does in there. I feel like you're saying that a little bit because she's a heel. Because if she was a face, that look is totally fine. But since she's such a heel, maybe that's kind of playing into it a little bit. I do I think like, the, I do like well, I don't think that suit, she's not. Though. I love her in the suit. Oh, yeah. you know, I love her in the suit because it puts forth her her professionalism, her nastiness. And it's not that I don't think that she's, uh, you know, physically attractive, sexually attractive, anything like that. In fact, I, I think she's kind of sneaky hot in that sense. I'm just saying there are certain female wrestlers who wear a type of outfit like that to enhance them to cover up for maybe other parts of their game. I think Asuka's so strong in other parts of that game where this takes away from her. She, she doesn't. She definitely doesn't need it to get over, but I don't think it takes away from her in any way. And it's the same argument that you, that you and I had about Naomi too. Like you thought, you think kind of when she was wearing the fishnets, it took away from her. Personally, I didn't really care, but I think business suit Asuka is really cool. That's the way to go. And when she does get introduced, that's at least how she should be introduced. Maybe you bring her in the ring, you make it a ceremony. She's still the NXT champion, or if she runs in with it, and it's a very professional look, I agree. But I don't think the ring attire really takes away from anything. I just love her as a heel women's champion. She's really solid. She's better than what the storylines, except for Alexa Bliss, that are currently going on in the women's division in the WWE main roster. And I do want to point out one thing. I want to agree with something, actually, that you said. Her getting the double pinfall in that match was the only result on that match that could have mattered. Because if she pinned one of them... Okay, great. She's done that before. Ember Moon wasn't there. It didn't matter. If one of the others won, it would have been ridiculous for Ruby Riot or Nikki Cross to beat Asuka when no one else, all these other great you know, wrestlers couldn't do it. So those were all losing propositions. So the only way that that match could have ended and Asuka could have looked stronger than she was entering it was with that double pinfall. So you want to talk about the battering ram you know, concept in the main event. That was another really smart booking decision. And it shows that when you have creative that actually takes the time to lay out a show and come up with results that matter and can advance storylines, you get something like NXT, which for me was like an A minus A overall pay-per-view. And it's very rare you get that on any WWE show these days. Yeah, no doubt about it. Look, I think that they, they're going to have a problem when Asuka leaves. I don't think Ember Moon's ready, but we'll, we'll see how that plays out when that does happen. Hey, guys, we just wrapped. we just giving the people what they want, a little something extra, giving them the instant analysis backlash show, throwing it in some NXT on top of there. Get out there, listeners. If you hear something, if you see something, then why don't you go out there and say something? Subscribe, rate, review, spread the word on this podcast. We're coming back strong later this week with the This Week in WWE recap. You're going to have a boxing one this week. A lot to talk about in the sweet science. Two words, though, on the way out, guys. We brought it, and now we out.